Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. One reason I'm so excited about 2022 is this is a year that we're doing Blink. And uh, Blink, if you're not familiar with what Blink actually is, it's a a production that uh, in 1998, the, the way the story basically goes is I went to my dad in 1998 and I was like 26 years old. I said, Dad, I need $250,000. He said, you are not my son. Uh, and I said, no, but I need it. For... No, I'm kidding. He never said that. But I said, I have an idea. It's sort of like a movie type thing. We would have to buy all these new lights, all these video screens, all these different things. It's this play type of thing. No one ever really done anything like this ever before. And um, so my dad said, well, if you think that we... I said, but it's going to be edgy. It's going to be PG-13. People are going to get offended. People won't like it. But I think we can see thousands of people come to Jesus. And it sort of went from there and uh, has grown over the years. Over 60,000 people, 60,000 people have given their hearts to Jesus through Blink since 1998. It's something that we see this building full of people that buy tickets. Uh, I think last time, how many performances did we do? Was it 10? Was it 10? I mean, it went from like 14 there were times, in case you're wondering, there were times during the height of Blink where we would do three performances a night. So we would have over, we have 1,200 people in here. We would have thousands, like four or 5,000 that were outside waiting to get in. So we would come up with extra shows on the spot. We would say, okay, well, we'll do a show at 9.30 if you guys will wait. They would all wait until 9.30. And then at 9.30, we would do a show and let people in. And there'd be like 1,500 people still outside. So we'd say, okay, well, we'll do an 11 o'clock show. And so then we'd have eight, 900 people in here at 11 o'clock. It was crazy. But the way it's evolved over the years has, has turned into this thing where it's kind of a, a movie, a half movie, half play. Uh, it involves hundreds of, of people, but it's a very missional idea to present the gospel in an unusual way to get people stirred up in their faith. So what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to close your eyes for a second, ask you, can you see these altars filled with souls this fall at City of Life. So don't open your eyes yet. Can you see in your spirit thousands of people giving their heart to Jesus? Can you see somebody that you know standing up here? Somebody that's lost, that does not know Jesus. Can you see in your spirit someone up here standing up here, raising their hands, glorifying God? Can you see it? Okay, now open your eyes. How many of you could see it in your spirit? Because if you can see it, The Bible says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Because the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are everlasting. The Bible says that what you just saw is everlasting because you can't see it with your eyeballs. You can see it with your spirit. So I want to get you stirred up, and I'm going to ask you to do something wild. I don't even know where this comes from. But take out your phone for a second. I'm going to ask you to open your notes program or something like that. And I want you to write down the name of somebody that you want to see saved at Blink. Write down the name of at least one person, maybe even five. If you can think of five people, maybe even write someone that you just think no one would ever believe that they could be saved. I don't care if it's a celebrity, who you think it is. We've had celebrities saved at Blank over the years. We've had witches saved, prostitutes, gangbangers, everybody, the kind of person you can think of has been saved at Blank over the years. So write down somebody that you believe you want to see saved at Blank. And I believe that God is going to do something in that person's life. I believe you're praying for them right now. We're kind of just drawing a line in the sand and say, we're taking back some of the stuff that the enemy has taken from us. And we're going to see revival in our church. Can I get an amen from someone here today? Amen. 
Well, as you saw in our bumper, we're starting a new series called FAQ, and it's pretty straightforward. We want to just answer some questions, some questions that people may ask uh, in life, tough questions. I think one question that is a pretty natural question is a place that we're going to jump off from. Uh, by the way, God is not intimidated by questions. God is not intimidated. At church, we're not intimidated by questions. I think it's really important that if you're a member of this church and you have questions about things, build relationships with our team, build relationships with our pastoral staff, join leadership, get involved so that you can have godly people in your life that you can talk to that can give you godly advice. You don't just need godly advice in a general sense, you need biblical advice. Because where we get our answers from is this beautiful, amazing thing called the Bible. It's God's word. And we believe it is life, we believe it is flawless, we believe it is perfect in matters of faith and practice. It is absolutely flawless. Nothing wrong with it at all. It, it represents God's perfection in matters of faith and practice. So I encourage you, if you have questions about things, you're like, well, I'd never be able to answer this. I don't know if we can answer everything, but I know that the Bible definitely gives us the answers that we need in life. It gives us the most important things. So that's what we're going to try to do in this series is maybe talk about some things that people have been wondering about for a while. And we're going to jump off from a very basic question, which is this. What happens when I die? What happens when I die? I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump right into our reading. Father, thank you for your presence, your goodness here today. I pray that hearts are turned toward heaven uh, in a way that has never happened before we would trust you uh, in a way we never have before and see transformation like we've never seen before, that we could leave this place different than we walked in, reflecting your goodness and your glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I want to make sure that before I get into this series that you know that when we're talking about answering questions, it's not from a place of I know everything and you don't. It is certainly from the place of that the Bible has the most important answers to questions. And when I'm talking about something like hell or something like heaven, I want you to I want to make sure that you understand that I believe that of all people that have ever lived, I'm deserving of hell uh, as much or more than anyone ever has been, knowing that it is God's grace that would give me any ability to know Jesus whatsoever. I wouldn't have the ability to know I need Jesus unless the Holy Spirit had quickened that information to me. So this is not from a place talking about heaven and hell of, yeah, I'm a good person and you better figure out your stuff or you're going here. It's not like that at all. Today I want to talk about what the Bible has to say about heaven and about hell and about the afterlife. So I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. And I want to give a quick warning before we start reading this. Do not be dismissive of things that do not line up with your way of thinking. I think that that's something that we do. We are the best cherry pickers. We love to take religion. We love to take Christianity. And we're just in a, you know, I mean, anybody ever ordered a sandwich from Wawa before? You ever been in Wawa? By the way, Wawa's got some banging subs if you've never been there before. It's really good. But when you go through their list, it's just like the, the customization options are crazy. It's like, I mean, it reminds me of a story of when I was living in Dallas when I was 19 years old. I'd never been to a subway before. I don't know why. I mean, call me, you know, isolated or whatever. But I'd never even been in a subway in my entire life. I walk in. And there was this lady that was standing there, and I said, right around the, apart the corner from my apartment. And uh, she said, I said, hi, I'd like a sub. I, you know, what's good? She goes, the BMT. And I said, okay, well, okay, I'll try the BMT. Why are we? I said, 
uh, uh, let's go white, cheese or no cheese? Uh, I said, I'm, I'm going to go with cheese. Uh, what kind of meats do you want? Uh, any additional toppings on the meats? Any additional meats? And uh, I said, uh, just I'll have what comes on. Any additional toppings? And so, uh, you know, I just thought, what is this lady's problem? She's just like, I'm trying to sort of sandwich here. So day two, <laughs> this is not a joke. Uh, I come back. It was so good I came back for Subway again. So day two, I come in, and there was no internet or anything back at this time, so I just try to remember as much as possible. So I come in. I go, I go hi. She goes, what would you like today? I said, I'm going to have the BMT on white. <laughs> she goes, what kind of cheese would you like with that? I'm like, dang it. So I come back day three. <laughs> you think this is a joke. You're like, I'm going to a different church. This pastor's whack. <laughs> I come back a different day. Finally, the last day, I go, hi, how you doing? If you don't mind, let me finish. I like a BMT on white with cheese, no additional meats, no additional toppings. I would like some pickles and some banana peppers. I'd like oil, vinegar, oregano, and that is it. No additional sides, no drinks, just the sandwich. <laughs> and she said, I see you've memorized the questions. <laughs> so... It reminds me of that in terms of the way we customize our faith. So many different boxes to check. Oh, I don't really like, I mean, I like all this, but I don't really like preaching on, on sin. You know, because yeah, there's, there's a lot of different people who never grew up in church. I, don't, I mean, th there's no way that a loving God would ever send anyone to hell. So if, if you're talking about hell, I'm out. You know, I check out. I, don't, I like everything, but don't talk about giving. Uh, I like everything, but don't talk about leadership. Churches hurt people. They abuse people. Churches, uh, religion is bad. Organizer, I mean, not, not spirituality. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious because organized religion hurts people. And you just go down the, I mean, it's sort of like you check all these boxes and you end up with Frankenstein. It's really what you end up with. So what I'm warning you about is in a general sense, when you hear something that you think you've already checked the boxes... Be careful that you're not filtering out. You, you ever searched for a home online or searched for a, a specific thing that is so specific that what do you do? You go over to a box that's called filter. And you click filter. And it only searches for things that matches your filter. And be careful that you don't build an echo chamber in your life where you're only hearing voices that reflect the kind of thing that you've already embraced, it's the word itself that is supposed, the Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. You're like, what does that mean? It means the word is supposed to cut us. When we hear it, it's supposed to cut us. And what are we supposed to say? Ooh, that feels good. No, we're supposed to say, ouch. That hurts. And so... That's, what's, that's, that's what this topic is like. So here's, here's a couple of scriptures for you to consider. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. It says, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Meaning in the manifest presence of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit with us, but while we're on this planet... It says we're confident and know that as when we're at home in our body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We just talked about that. We are confident, and I say would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So what Paul is saying here 
is that I even know as much as I love living, it's better to be with Jesus. As great as life would be, we cannot even begin to fathom how wonderful life is going to be with Jesus in heaven. It says in verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So our goal is to please Jesus whether we're living on this planet or we're in the next life. We want to make sure that we're pleasing to him. And verse 10 says, for we must all appear. Someone say all. Now he's talking about being confident that if we're here in the body, we're away from the Lord. But if we're away from the body, we're in the presence of the Lord. He's saying that we are confident. Who do you think he's talking to? He's talking to Christians. So what Paul is talking about in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he's talking to Christians about a judgment that we are going to go to. That Christians are going to go to. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Okay, so what I'm about to set up with these two scriptures I'm going to read is I'm going to set up the inevitability that all people will be judged. That, that being a Christian does not exempt you from judgment. Okay, now what... It, <laughs> It does exempt you from a certain type of judgment, which I think you will find comfort in. But we are going to be judged. So over here, I don't know why I chose this side, but over here, you guys should praise the Lord on, on you know, because what I'm about to say is actually good for you. I don't know about you, but, but <laughs> over here, you have people who have put their faith in Christ who are confident in Jesus. And it says that you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for the things that you've done. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought that when, when, once Jesus forgave me that I was forgiven forever and I never got judged for sin. Well, what it says, you're going to be judged for the things that you've done, whether good or bad. I'm going to get into the rest of this doctrine of the judgment seat of Christ on what that means. But know that there is judgment coming even for those who are Christians. Okay, now let's listen to this one. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. It's 11 through 15. It says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Be careful that you're not like, it's just imagery. Well, let me just tell you something. It's, it's imagery that can be trusted, and it's, if, if it's imagery... <laughs> It is imagery that is not misleading at all. And we have to make sure that when, when we write off these passages uh, as, as being poetic or, or just la figurative language, it's not language that is misleading. So let's make sure, first of all, this is not imagery. This is actually what's going to happen. Second of all, even if it was, it's not misleading. So let's think about it in the context of what it's saying. I saw a white throne and him that sat on it from whose faith the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. Someone who's so holy that heaven and earth can't even be in their presence. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened. Which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. That sounds similar to the other one. But it is different because it says this. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which was in them 
and they were judged, every man according to their works. Someone say, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So you have two judgments. You have one judgment that is called the judgment seat of Christ. You have one that is called the great white throne judgment. There is no third judgment. There is no exemption. There are no box seats where you can just sit up there and buy your way out of it and just kind of watch what's going on with a concierge. You're going to go to one of these judgments. Why? Because people are going to be accountable to God for the life that they have lived on earth. God demonstrated the most phenomenal plan in history through his son Jesus to rescue those that he loved from sin by sending Jesus to earth. He has made his nature plain to us. Romans says it's plain to us even without having someone explain it through the Bible. The book of Romans tells us that we know, we learned this in our should series, we know in our hearts that God is real. We know that God has created the earth and there is a way for us that may not be easy, but we know it's the way that we should go. We know in our hearts and we're going to be judged on what we do with that information. We create these narratives about what life should be, how we think God should be. But this is the way God actually is. And how is he? Well, listen, we only have the Bible to go on. If we believe the truth that Jesus is our Savior, and we trust that God created the earth and had a plan for our lives, we have to trust all it says. And Psalm chapter 18, verse 30 says, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all that take refuge in him. Can someone say amen today? Deuteronomy 32, 4 and 5 says he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him, from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 4, 8 through 10, this is probably one of the most memorized verses in the entire Bible, only a part of it, though. Anyone who does not know God, anyone who, excuse me, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's the, that's the part everyone memorizes right there, those three words. It, but it goes on to define what kind of love we're talking about. It's funny that the very people that use that scripture uh, just forsake what comes after it, which it says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I talked about that last week. A propitiation is something that is given to appease the anger and the wrath of a God. And that is what Jesus was, the propitiation for our sins. I, I would never serve a God that would send people to hell. Okay, this is something that we, I don't know where this voice comes from. I, I guess I've talked to some very <laughs> nasally uh, opponents of Christianity over the years. I guess it's just that you hear the, the very similar kinds of uh, things over and over again. And I, I'm not saying that these are ridiculous questions. 
I get this. I, I, I fully understand, uh, you know, not, not, not grasping. And I don't grasp the sovereignty of God. Who could, who could grasp something so big? I just simply believe his word. And I understand that Jesus says, if we trust the words of Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are what? Are few. Jesus is giving an invitation to everyone. And it kind of clearly shows us that God invites everyone to enjoy a life that is holy. To enjoy a life. That is through the gate, which is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And God tells us straight up, hey, you're in your car driving around in life. Make sure in your GPS that you click in the destination of God's goodness. Because if you click in that destination, it's going to be a narrow gate. It's going to be a tight squeeze. It's going to be tough. There are going to be people that oppose you, lots of them. It's going to be hard to walk out your faith, but it's going to be worth it. And he's saying that most people are going to willingly choose to reject God. This is a hard thing for us to understand, that God does not send people to hell. That may sound so strange. But what God actually does is give people the opportunity to call on his name and to ask for forgiveness of their sins or to try and continue to save themselves as they have done all along. And if you choose to continue to save yourself, what it's saying is you will walk through that gate of self-salvation for eternity. And you will have to save yourself because there will be no one there to save you for eternity. God lets you make that choice continually to reject him. And the very people say, well, I don't believe in giving up on people. I don't think it's fair that God would give up on people and not give them a chance for something that's done in 70 years and judge them for eternity. It's funny that a lot of people that don't believe in giving up on people do believe in ostracizing uh, those that don't align with their belief system. They, from society, whether you know, if someone is known to be a racist or a murderer or a rapist, are you inviting those people into your community? Are you giving them redemption? Are you saying, come be a part of my life and my family? Or are you saying, no, those people are a menace to society in the same kind of way someone that is unreformed and will not repent and give their heart to God is a danger to all the people that would. Yeah. And God would never subject those that he loves and his children to something that catastrophic and damaging. So hell is a place that is created by the, by the people that go there for themselves. Of separation, eternal separation from God. And there are some ways that people justify not having to deal with this tough truth. One of the ways is uh, a concept that's just simply called naturalism. It's people that basically say that we only have what we can measure and what we can see in this life. And once that is over, everything is over. And I find that to be a really challenging view, naturalism, because as we talked about in our should series, we know that it's wrong to be bad. We know that people that do horrible things, I don't know why sometimes when my older kids, not, not our daughter Zoe, but sometimes we'll watch these shows, uh, 
you know, like about crime, like true crime shows, things that have happened. And we watch some of these things that have happened, and we're just like baffled. We're going, how could someone do this? And the, the evil that we see of people that just hurt and damage and, and just ruin families, dozens and dozens of people that they've done these things to. It's just, it, it breaks your heart. And you, know, you go, man, that is sick. That is messed up. And you don't think in your mind that people that are naturalists believe, hey, if they enjoyed that when they died, then they had a great life doing exactly what they wanted to do. There's no consequence whatsoever. That's what naturalism tells us is that when we, when we die and we shut our eyes for the last time, that's it and life is just over. Life is only what you see and what you can touch. There is a concept called universalism, which is in the end, everybody is saved. It really doesn't matter what faith you're in as long as you're trying to do the right thing. I mean, actually, universalism is not even that uh, specific. It basically says, we're all lost, none of us get it right, and at the end of the day, no matter how terrible you are or what kind of suffering you've caused on the earth, God eventually goes, eh, just let them in. They're all, you know, they're just a bunch of, you know, Hitler, uh, boys will be boys, uh, let, let him in. He's, you know, the, the, he, he just, he just was, thought he was having fun. That's basically the concept of universalism, is that no matter who you are, or what you've done, whether you've accepted or rejected God or Jesus Christ, uh, it doesn't matter. And, and these are, a lot of times you'll hear people say things like, doesn't matter which religion you belong to, they're all the same, they're all kind of trying to do the same thing, which as we talked about in our Should series, uh, I don't like when people say things like that because they're making an exclusive truth claim by saying that. They're summarizing all religions and basically saying they all lead to the same place, which means they have the same knowledge as God, which is simply not true. Uh, then we have a concept called uh, reincarnation, which is sort of, uh, you know, actually, I, I think at least this has some concept of consequence in it. It's not right, but at least they're trying to say that you kind of pay for certain things. It's like you, uh, you know, you live life and you drive very slow in the left-hand lane regularly on the turnpike. Uh, it's basically saying that if you do this, you know, regularly, you 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 like go the only the speed limit. You will not let anyone pass. That you will come back in the next life as a la cucaracha. Uh, you, you know, you, like you go from being the slow driver that everyone honks at to the next life. You go down the the ladder and you're you're you know climbing around like a bug. But then if you're a really good bug, I don't know how you do that. I don't know if that means you, like you share everything. Uh, then you might come back as a dog. And then if you're a great dog who obeys your owners, you may eventually grow to be a Cowboys fan. So that's, that's like the way it works. Uh, that's the way it works with reincarnation. But at least in reincarnation, you have some concept of, of karmic you know, values where you're, you're you know, paying for what you do wrong and you're doing right. At least it has some sense of that, but it's incorrect. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for men to die once. But after this, the judgment. So reincarnation says we're just born over and over and over again. And we just keep going until we become a Cowboys fan. And then the, the, four, the fourth one is annihilationism. And annihilationism is that everybody dies and ceases to exist. Uh, you know, and I don't see how that really differs too much from the naturalistic view. But there are a lot of Christians who believe in annihilationism. They don't believe that God would ever punish uh, sin, that his wrath against sin, that once people die, they just die, and their punishment is not existing. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, if I go to sleep at 8 p.m. and I wake up at 8 a.m., I don't wake up and say, who punished me? 
uh, I wake up and say, man, that was like the best sleep I ever had in my entire life. It was amazing because sleep is completely peaceful. You're not suffering. You're not thinking about what you did the previous day. You're just sleeping. And in the same way, uh, annihilationism is, is a really flawed concept. Uh, it, it's definitely not biblical. Daniel 12, 2 says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, uh, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. I don't see why that's not clear. That when we die, that we are, there is a resurrection. These judgments we're talking about are true. And it, although intellectually or in, you know, solically in your heart, it may feel better for you to say that God would never punish people that do something wrong. Uh, it's a flawed idea. And then there's another idea called purgatory, which is really a medieval uh, doctrine that was created that was based on other flawed doctrines that's just not biblical whatsoever. Uh, but purgatory, it kind of talks about you kind of getting this sort of in-between. It's like you're a Giants fan in heaven and you watch a lot of football games and you finally figure out, oh, okay, the Cowboys are good. And God's like, okay, now you go to heaven. It's like you figure it out uh, as you go. But here's the problem. Uh, Jesus spoke about hell more than anyone in the Bible. I'm not being facetious here. This is a statistic. Theologically, Jesus talked about hell more than any other person in the Bible. 13% of everything Jesus opened his mouth about was about punishment or hell or judgment. It's interesting because I was reading a tweet from a few years ago by a, by a pastor who was talking about hell, God, God sending people to hell that are not saved and don't have Jesus, and just hundreds of comments by people that said, man, this really, one, one person said, man, this really sounds like the words of Jesus. Wait a minute, I just read Jesus. No, it doesn't. Like they were trying to be sarcastic. And I was thinking, I don't think you have read the words of Jesus because he's the one that actually talked about hell. We've kind of, with the God is love idea, we've written all that out of the story. And half of his parables are on punishment and hell and judgment. Love is not God, but God is love. So we have to understand God's concept of love includes judging sin appropriately. That's why it is so important for us to know Jesus. He is holy. He is omnipresent. And actually, hell is not banishment from the presence of the Lord forever. Because if God is omnipresent, he has to be everywhere. Right? We know that he's everywhere. So if you are in hell, it does mean that God's presence in a sense is there. But he has removed all of his redeeming qualities. Only his judgment. Only his wrath. Only his anger, only his jealousy, forever. You say, man, I'm going to find a different church. I do not like this. Well, it's like we can go to a different church. We can do that. We can listen to a different podcast. We can turn this off. But what we can't turn off is the truth of who God actually is. We can ignore it. We can ignore it or we can pretend that it doesn't exist. Now, I hope that in this, what you're hearing me talk about, that you hear there is hope in there when I talk about Jesus. Uh, every person in this building has an opportunity to know Jesus today. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son 
will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. We have to be so cautious that, we're, that God's wrath is not on us. And that we accept Christ for who he is. And that our lives bear fruit of that. Can I tell you something? If you raised your hand in a church service at one time, and yet you do not have the characteristics of the fruit of God in your life in an evident way, you better be very careful. You better analyze what it was that you did when you raised your hand. That's why I, I really, when I ask people to raise their hand, I try to explain what's happening. Raising your hand does not save you. It is the faith that you put in Christ that saves you. And that faith that you put in Christ leads to a changed heart and a changed life that reflects his goodness in everything we do. Can I get an amen from somebody in this building? Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. We see in Revelation that that eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels, that hell and death are cast into that. And that's all the people that are already experiencing the wrath of God in hell, that all of that is cast into this eternal place of damnation and torment. You know, Romans 6.23, when it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to tell you today that Jesus loves you. It's the week after Easter. You're like, man, he preached a good message on Easter. He lured me back here. And now he's talking about hell. What kind of church is this? It's the kind of church that wants you to know the truth about who God is. And that we live in a world that tries to sugarcoat everything and make people feel so happy about all their circumstances. How can I live in a world knowing that people are going to hell without telling them about the hope of Jesus. Not just living it out. I hate the concept. You know, St. Saint Francis of Assisi, one, one of the hugest misquotes ever. I, I cannot stand when people use this quote. They say, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. He never, ever, 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 ever said that. Ever. Do not, never say that. It's not true. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. The quote that he made actually said we need to make sure that the lifestyle that we are living matches our words. That's a completely different concept because one is implying that we preach the gospel just by helping people. That's not true. We need to help people. And as we're helping them, we need to tell them why we're helping them. We need to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of, the, of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. First to the Jew, then to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It is in the preaching of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. You say, well, what good news is there and that people are going to hell? The good news is no one has to go. No one has to go. We can repent of our sins. Now, in typical Pastor Jeff form, I did not get through my notes today. So I'm just going to do the rest of this next week. Okay, part two is going to be FAQ part two. Next week, I'm going to continue on in this. 
I'm not going to make it the whole series, but I, I do think it's worth two parts because I didn't even get to the judgment seat of Christ and what that means for believers, that God is going to judge believers not for sin, but for their works and, and our rewards. We were actually singing about it. We were singing about the crowns that were cast before Jesus' feet. That has to do with Christians. It's really important that we know this. And we live with an awareness that our the things that we think in our mind, when we think something negative about someone, and we think that we got away with something, every single action, every attitude, every unseen motive in your heart, you will be fully accountable for to God in heaven. And the Bible says you will see your work burned up. And what would have been reward will disappear from you. That's, that's disturbing to me because it tells us that as Christians, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. There will be different levels of reward and favor and blessing in heaven for Christians and for those that have lived with those base attitudes in life, being negative, being judgmental, not being kind. They may know Jesus and they may get to experience the beauty of heaven, but their eternal rewards in heaven will be different than they would have been because they didn't live with intentionality to be honoring toward Christ. So that's something that we're going to talk about next week. But I want to invite you to know Jesus today. If you're watching online or listening to this podcast, please continue for just a moment to hear the beauty of God's plan for salvation through Jesus. That is good, good news. The good news is that he loves you, he cared for you, and he made a way for you to experience his joy and his presence forevermore. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. You say, well, what's so complicated about that? Nothing. <laughs> it's actually not complicated. Living it out afterwards, that's not always so easy. But if you ask for the help of the Holy Spirit and you live genuinely and authentically before the Lord, he'll walk with you. He'll help you fight those battles. He'll fight those battles for you. And he'll be alongside you the whole way. So I invite you right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're watching online, if you need Jesus to become the Lord of your life, if you've tried to be your own savior, if you've tried to get yourself out of situations, if you've customized your faith and cherry-picked doctrines that you're comfortable with just to make yourself feel better, about your faith and today the word of God is cutting at your heart and you say I need to submit my life to Jesus I need to submit my life to his way of doing things even if it hurts if it doesn't feel good I need to humble myself before God and ask him to save me there might be some people in here who consider yourself Christians who have never done that the Bible does say that many will say to me on that day Lord Lord did we not do many great miracles in your name cast out demons in your name and he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. It means there are people that think they are Christians, who even do things for church, who don't even genuinely know Jesus, have never even genuinely asked Jesus to, to come into their heart and to forgive them. They've used the principles of Christianity to see things happen because the principles work, but they never had that genuine relationship that's you today and you need Jesus no one looking around when I count to three I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand all over the room no matter who you are I believe God's gonna do something in your life 
transformative today. One, the Bible says now is the time of salvation. Now. Two, I believe that the Holy Spirit has purposed this moment for lives to be changed forever. Three, hands lifted all over the room if that's you. Hands going up in every single section. Every, every, every single section. Multiple hands. If you're watching online, would you lift your hand or simply type in the chat right now and say, I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Don't just lift your hand. Put your faith in Jesus today. In your heart, repent. Say, I'm sorry of trying to save myself. I'm doing it my own way. I need you, God. Let's repeat this prayer out loud. Say, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life, walking into a brand new life with you. I can't save myself. I can't do it alone. Show me your favor. Show me your goodness. Show me the way that I should live. I'll abandon my old way of doing things. I'll seek you and only you. I'll do things your way from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, could we give God a great praise today? I hope that that was encouraging to you. And just to kind of answer a little bit of your question, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, the moment that you die, the moment that your eyes closed, you are in the presence of the Lord. There is no pause. There is no time period in between. There is no time to think about it. You are in the presence of the Lord. That means every person that we've ever known that knew Jesus is with Jesus right now. That is what I call very good news. So have a wonderful week. I cannot wait to continue our series FAQ next week. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.